In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. Mary fulfills the laws given by God. In Jewish tradition, after giving birth, the new mother had to go through a rite of purification. Somehow she had become unclean, and she had to recover her state of legal cleanliness before God. It was the law of Moses, and everyone obeyed it. Mary, even though she was immaculate in body and soul, without any stains that needed purification, had to do this like everyone else. This is the humble handmaid of the Lord, above everyone else, and yet so unassuming, so discreet. The mother had to go through purification, and the son had to be taken to the temple to be presented to the Lord. This is what we contemplate in the fourth of the joyful mysteries of the Rosary. St. Luke tells us in the second chapter, When the days were completed for their purification according to the law of Moses, they took him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. The Holy Family travels, Joseph, Mary, Jesus. When they enter the temple, they find several people there, perhaps other families, couples who had brought their children following the same customs. While they wait in line, an old man makes his way to them. He has spotted them, and even though they probably do not know him, he goes up to them, takes the child in his arms, and pronounces some mysterious words, giving thanks to God that he has been able to set his eyes on this child, calling him the salvation of the people. And then he turns to Mary and says other mysterious words. Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rise of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be contradicted, and your own heart a sword will pierce. Mary and Joseph were listening to all of this, amazed at what was being said. The last part about the sword was a premonition to Mary on her future suffering. She would suffer on account of her son, or rather on account of how people would treat her son. She would come to be called the Virgin of Sorrows. Mary somehow knew that she would have a tough life. Even though she was the blessed among women, the happiest among women, for having been granted the unique privilege of being the mother of the Redeemer. She knew from all that was said of the Redeemer in the scriptures that he would be a man of sorrows. She would have remembered in that moment those prophetic verses from Isaiah. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. 
and he was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that is before its shearers dumb, so he opened not his mouth. The Messiah was a man forever associated with suffering and with the cross. And Mary, his mother, knew that she would share in this suffering. It was her destiny as mother. It was the will of God for her to be there. A sword would pierce her heart. The announcement made by that old man was not a very pleasant one. But Mary did not run away from this premonition. She was faithful on this occasion as throughout her life. In the litany of the rosary, we call her the Virgin Most Faithful. Faithful to the Lord no matter what it may cost her. During a homily in 2015 in Paraguay, Pope Francis said, Mary is the mother of yes. Yes to God's dream, yes to God's care, yes to God's will. It was a yes that, as we know, was not easy to live. A yes that bestowed no privileges or distinctions. Simeon, the old man, told her in his prophecy, a sword will pierce your heart, and indeed it did. That is why we love her so much. We find her to be a true mother, one who helps us to keep faith and hope alive in the midst of complicated situations. Mary is the mother of yes, the woman of the fiat, which is Latin for let it be done. She pronounced these words at the Annunciation when the angel gave her that message from God. On this occasion at the temple in Jerusalem, she submitted to the law, the rite of purification, and she heard those dark words of Simeon and remembered those painful words of Isaiah and understood the difficult life that God wanted of her. And her response was to say, as she always did, yes. It takes strength to say yes to God. Lord, it takes a special kind of strength, the strength of a Mary, to say yes to you when we realize it will mean suffering, intense suffering, or suffering over a long period of time, many months, many years. Mostly, we might feel like running away, or we might run away. And so perhaps the question for us is, what is the strength of our yes? What is the generosity of our yes? Is it half-hearted? Do we place conditions on it, limits, saying, I will only go as far as this and no further? How difficult it is to say yes to everything that the Lord asks, to trust him so much that we place in his hands our plans, our future, our thoughts and ambitions, like Mary. Saint Josemaria, in the book Holy Rosary, meditating on the mystery of the presentation of Jesus in the temple and the purification of the mother, imagines himself an observer there, accompanied by the reader, by you and I, who are just small children. And he writes, When the days of the mother's purification are accomplished, according to the law of Moses, 
the child must be taken to Jerusalem to be presented to the Lord. Just think, she, the Immaculate, submits herself to the law as if she were defiled. Through this example, foolish child, will you learn to obey the holy law of God regardless of any personal sacrifice? To obey the holy law of God, the holy will of God, regardless of any personal sacrifice. How difficult this is. It means placing the will of God above and before everything else, even our own preferences. Being capable of sacrifice, being capable of generosity, being capable of heroism. Sometimes God asks for a lot more than we expected, and it can be scary. It may seem like we have to give against our own preferences. It may seem that there is no space left for our freedom. Perhaps this is the impression that we may have when we think of the Blessed Virgin, or when we think of those people whose vocation is a total self-giving. An American religious nun, Sister Mary Martha Becknell, says in one of the many good articles she has published online, that people, perhaps looking at her and thinking of what her life as a nun must be like, often ask her questions along the lines of, can you do this and that other thing? Will they let you do this and that other thing? And she says the wording of the questions misunderstands her commitment to obedience. Perhaps people think she has lost her freedom in her vocation. And so she writes, how can we say that obedience and freedom are connected? Indeed, to be authentic, the two cannot be separated. Obedience without freedom is in fact not obedience, but force. And freedom without obedience is rather rebellion and anarchy. God has poured himself out for us, and we respond by a faith that seeks his will and his plans above all things. Even when we find what he has revealed about faith or morals hard to embrace, we trust that he desires only our good and that he alone will fulfill the desires of our hearts. We freely choose to accept in active faith and obedience that all that he has shown us is good and true and beautiful. And then she addresses the questions. What is it that leads one to give oneself entirely to God in obedience to his will? There is really no question of what I am allowed to do as a sister. I have chosen this life knowing completely everything that it entails, freely and joyfully. I have encountered a God who is in love with me, and I have desired to return love for love, giving myself completely to him. I have vowed my life to him, and he has vowed himself to give the grace to live as his forever. What joy could be greater than this? If people could experience even a small amount of the peace and joy I have in this life, they would understand the desire for it. The life that this nun lives, a life of celibacy out of love for God, of commitment, is one that manifests publicly a total self-giving, a complete and unconditional yes to God. And it is a treasure for the church and for humanity. But as we can well understand, Lord, this is not the only way to say yes to you. And it is not what you want for everyone. 
there are many people, the majority, from whom you expect a yes in ordinary family life, on the streets, in the classroom, at the workplace. And the Lord expects from them a yes that is as generous as that of the nun in the convent, with the same freedom. The Lord is not more demanding with some and less demanding with others. He hasn't created some for more and others for less. He doesn't love some more and others less. It is true, O Lord, that you give more to some and less to others, but you give to each person according to what they can receive, and we have different capacities. Because this is how you have designed us in your infinite knowledge and goodness. Each person, each one of us, has a unique life, unique circumstances in which to live out our Christian vocation. From each one of us, the Lord expects a yes, a yes that is unique to us, a free yes. Sister Mary Martha Becknell continues, But no matter the vocation one has, the joy and peace of living obediently as a disciple of Christ are possible. For each Christian, the same motive for being a disciple should exist, springing from freedom. There is only one reason to be willing to renounce anything and to risk the rejection that inevitably comes from being a true follower of the Lord. Love. It is a love of one who recognizes how much he or she has been loved, even to the cross, and desires to hold back nothing in response. When one encounters such love, how can one not respond with love, with complete gift of self in return? May we always give of ourselves in the obedience of faith to the one who first loved us. There is only one reason that is worthwhile. One reason that makes our obedience compatible with our freedom, such that we obey freely. And that reason is love. We obey God not simply because he is all-powerful, infinitely more powerful than any of us and capable of doing everything. We obey him not simply because he is all-knowing, infinitely more intelligent than any of us. We obey him not as though we had no alternative, like slaves in chains, incapable of deciding their future. And we obey him not because we are afraid of him in the way that slaves are afraid of their masters. Mary, our mother, does not obey for these reasons. It would be coercion, a forced obedience, which is not the kind that God desires. She obeys God for the best of reasons, the strongest of motives, out of love, because she wants to. She trusts him. And not only is she not afraid to abandon herself in his hands, she knows that it is the best place to be, the safest place in his hands. Loving God and trusting him, these are traits that we find in all those who obey freely, all those who obey happily. In the book of Genesis, in the 12th chapter, we read the story of Abram before he became Abraham. He was a 75-year-old man leading a calm life somewhere 
minding his own business. But then the Lord appeared on the scene. The Lord sought him out and proposed to him a radical change of plans. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who curses you I will curse, and by you all the families of the earth shall bless themselves. The Lord asked Abram to abandon his home and his kindred and everything that he had there, and to set out on an uncertain journey, probably a long, dangerous journey. He was not even told where he was going, and he was already advanced in age, settled in life, 75 years old. But he took his family and all his possessions, and he set out. The only certainty that he had were the words of the Lord, the promise that the Lord would guide him and accompany him, and that the blessings of his name and of his family would be fulfilled sometime, whenever and however the Lord saw fit. Trusting God and loving him, placing his will above our own plans, these are traits that we find in all those who obey freely, all those who obey happily. They are the traits that we find in those who are truly great. And so St. Josemaria says in the way, everything that is done out of love, love with a capital L, acquires greatness and beauty. There is no human action greater or more beautiful than what is done out of a sincere love for the will of God. Love for God, who is the one who first loves us. And everything that he asks of us, everything that you, O Lord, ask of us, you ask of us out of love for us. It is to make us better, to draw us closer to him, to give us true happiness. Not the cheap, short-lived kind, but the real thing. It's not always easy to accept the will of God. Later in her life, Mary had to witness the cruel torture of her son. You may remember those scenes from that great movie, The Passion of the Christ, and how when the Lord was tied to the pillar and scourged mercilessly, Mary was there. She looked on, her heart torn like the heart of any mother would be. This was the sword that Simeon had told her about. But Mary was firm. She knew that if the Lord allowed this grave injustice to happen, he knew better. In that very trying moment, when you and I might perhaps have run away, if we had been in her place, she, the virgin most faithful, trusted God, and again she said yes to his will. We end our prayer asking her to obtain for us this same trust in God, the same love, such that we too may say yes to him without fear whenever he comes calling on us. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations which you have communicated to me during this meditation. I ask your help to put them into practice. 
my Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.